You're listening to Never Sleeps Network. Fans and foes, it's time once again for Never Sleeps Network's Talking Wrestling. I am your host, Casey Corbin, and thank you for joining me here on the show today. Oh my God, whether you're joining from iTunes or Google Play or listening to us on Never Sleeps Network, I appreciate you listening today to every issue, including today's special issue. If you haven't hit us up on all the social medias, hit us up there on uh, Talking Wrestling Podcast on the Instagram at TNW Pod on Twitter. And also, if you want to send us a Gmail, send us a Gmail at talkingwrestling at gmail.com and, um, you know, let us know how we're doing. That would be great. Of course, we have our five star review and rating special going on. If you send us a five star rating and a favorable review to go along with it, we will send you an 80s postcard from an 80s wrestler of your choice, pre-Hulkamania. So far, gone are the Road Warriors and Dusty Rhodes, uh, Hulk Hogan, and Andre the Giant are already gone. And this is our latest review, who will be getting a a postcard once we get in touch with. And uh, this postcard is uh, from October 21st, 2017, uh, Apple Podcast by New York Isles 131, which is fantastic already because... The New York Islanders are my favorite hockey team of all time. Anyways, here we go. This uh, guy clearly listens to the show and has heard me on We Watch Wrestling because right away, I love what's going on here. Are you ready for this? Here we go. Casey's podcast might inspire me to go to school for computer graphics. Fantastic. Anytime a reference from uh, Hitman, Wrestling with Shadows, I love. So here we go. With the five stars, uh, I heard about this podcast when Vince from We Watch Wrestling mentioned it. uh, He was a guest. Having heard Casey previously on We Watch Wrestling, I had to give his podcast a listen. And to no surprise, I love it. Casey's a great storyteller. Above all, he knows how to keep his audience engaged. I can't recommend this enough. Oh, and like Casey, I'm a huge Islanders fan. John Tavares isn't going anywhere. Nothing to worry about. You're damn right he's not going anywhere, people. And Christian, if you're ever listening to this show, get your head out of your ass. John Tavares is staying in with the Islanders, and he's not going to the Maple Leafs. Enough about that. So, um, New York Isles 131 from USA. You will be getting a uh, postcard sent to you. But not only that, 
every review that has been sent in, we got nine reviews so far, will go into the uh, the draw for the Ricky the Dragon Steamboat autographed card. I have a postcard autographed by Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, and we will be running this promotion all through December until the 31st, and the card will be mailed out in the new year in January. And uh, one lucky winner, if you review the show, if you review the Dragon Show, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat episode, which is this episode right here, that's right, I haven't even introduced him yet, because I'm just running my mouth, wasting time, waiting for him to get here. I'm kidding, we've already recorded it. But um, you will get the Ricky the Dragon Steamboat sent to you autographed postcard but you'll still be able to win if, if i read your po- if i read it on the on the air your review you still get the 80s postcard as well so you have a chance of getting two postcards all right that's how that's going to work so and that's going to run all december as we'll make it fair and uh, the deadline to send in your reviews will be uh, january 1st and then we'll make a decision on uh, we'll put the names in a bucket and we'll choose it like the Royal Rumble. We'll figure out who's the winner going to be. And that's how we'll do it. And somebody will get an, a wicked autographed Ricky Steamboat autographed postcard. And uh, you can see it on my Instagram. Not my Instagram. Talking Wrestling's Instagram. Talking Wrestling Podcast. We will put it up there for you to view. And uh, if that's something you're interested in, then give us a, a view on the Ricky Steamboat issue. And you'll get two points. You get two points. Two ballots. If you do a re- another episode, you get to, you get to, you get a ballot for that. Like if you already done a review, you get a ballot. I don't know. A lot of I'm trying to give everybody a fair shot at winning this terrific piece of memorabilia. Now, let me tell you about the weekend uh, I just had. I just spent three days with Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Uh, I got to perform with him on Friday night and on uh, on, on Sunday night in Toronto. Friday night in Ottawa, Canada. Uh, the third, the, the middle of the night, Saturday, uh, there was a wrestling card in Kingston that I went to where he was the special guest of honor. He taught the wrestlers a seminar before that and then uh, participated in a meet and greet. If you uh, donated $20 to charity, you got a picture and autograph with Ricky Steamboat. Just a fantastic card overall. Congratulations to Jan Murphy on doing such a great job. Uh, 700 people showed up for a charity wrestling show and not a gimmick charity wrestling show a real charity wrestling show and a very exciting card just well 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 done and well organized uh there was a silent auction i won the heart package i won a whole bunch of autographed pictures of natty neidhart as well as jim neidhart as well as tj wilson or tyson kidd and i also got a thug life um two paws t-shirt that's autographed by two paws. I don't know how that's possible, but he's got fantastic penmanship. So thank you, Natty, for donating that so I can win that. Very exciting. The best part about that night was at the end when Ricky Steamboat was um, giving the belt out to the new champion. Um, the guy that lost woke up and uh, tried to take a, a run at Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. And let me tell you, at 64 years old, this guy was chopping and throwing punches and gave a traditional, like, right down on one knee, dragon chop to the stomach. Yeah! It was amazing. I was up my seat jumping, cheering, because Ricky the Dragon Steven has always been one of my favorite wrestlers. And then uh, the next day, we went to, um, we drove to Toronto to do the Toronto uh, show that night. 
and that's when we did the podcast we did it in a car on the way to toronto uh we we spoke for 44 minutes uh about just talking wrestling uh there are other people in the car so if you hear them laughing because it's a it's a ridiculous episode just know that we it's like we did it in front of a studio audience (laughs) jan murphy uh, from issue seven, I believe. Listen to his episode because Jan is the man, and I, I couldn't have done this episode without him and Ryan Denis. I couldn't have done the Million Dollar Man episode without him and Ryan Denis. Uh, and it looks like in April I'll be doing a Hacksaw Jim Duggan episode because I'll be on tour with him most likely for I think six or seven days. That's ninety percent sure. So I'm excited about that. Um, I know this is the longest monologue ever. I get it. And thank you for continuing listening. It's just that we only did a 44-minute interview, and I just want to fill the right amount of time to put this show to an hour. So we're almost there, folks. It's almost time for my interview with Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. And uh, don't mind the laughs in the back seat, and don't mind Jan Murphy's comments from the peanut gallery when he's driving. Um, But I know you're going to enjoy this episode. I enjoyed it. Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, thank you so very much. You truly are a class gentleman. Um, even though all weekend he was calling me a hobo because of my beard and uh, because Jan once mistaken me for a homeless guy in Kingston. But um, he was like, hey, Casey, honking his horn. And the homeless guy like got up and looked at him and, well, it wasn't me, so... Ricky thought that was a funny story, so he called me hobo for the rest of the weekend. And uh, what a treat. You know, as I'm about to wind this monologue down and, and you forge into the interview, I'm looking at my wall, and uh, he was nice enough to sign a Sports Review Wrestling issue June 1989. Chi-Town Rumble makes NWA history. And on the covers, Lex Luger wins the U.S. title, split with... Steamboat wins NWA world title. So, when I was looking at stuff to get autographed by him, uh, that was the one that I wanted the most. And uh, he signed it to Casey, a.k.a. Hobo, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. But the amazing part about this magazine on top, the very top line is Hulk Hogan's vow the Twin Towers will pay for the Mega Power Meltdown. So, back in 1989, we... uh, there you have it Hulk Hogan is now linked to Al-Qaeda and that's not good but uh, folks I hope you laughed at that part as if you did you're going to find this um, interview really exciting so uh, sit back enjoy uh, me in a car with Ricky Steamboat it's like our own episode of Ride Along and uh, thank you for listening to Talking Wrestling Uh, you know Enjoy it because I'm gonna enjoy it. Thank you. Breaker one nine. <laughs> we are uh, officially in Breaker one nine territory. I feel like this is a uh, an episode of Ride Along. Will you uh, identify if we laugh? That there are oh, of course. Yeah, I'm gonna set that up right now. So I'm just gonna start talking and then uh, I'll get into it. So because uh, I'm gonna do some pre-recorded talking later and so on. Anyways, uh, this is a very special uh, part of Talking Wrestling, folks. Thank you uh, for joining us. We are on our way from Kingston to Toronto, and I am in the midst of Ricky the Dragon Steamboat Weekend. I have uh, done one show with him up in Ottawa, Ontario. 
we went to Kingston last night. Jan Murphy from episode 7 ran a great wrestling show last night with 700 people there. A fantastic card. Ricky was also part of that. And now we are in the process of driving to Toronto. So as you listen to this, this is like right along the audio. Um, I am with Ricky Steamboat. He is in the front seat. This is Ricky Steamboat. He is here. I don't have Jason Sensation with me. This is the real Ricky Steamboat. We're driving to Toronto. We're going to do our show tonight. Ricky, thank you for joining us on the show. And uh, I'm glad you don't have anything to do for the next hour. So, you know, we'll do a half hour interview and then uh, get back to talking to the other people that are here in the car that feel like they've been kidnapped. So. Well, thank you, thank you, Casey. You know, I, I, I'm very, very happy uh, to be on your show, and twice as happy is that you made it perfectly clear to everybody that's listening that uh, the real Ricky Steamboat is up here in the front seat. Of course, of course. I'm, uh, I'm, you wanted to make that perfectly clear, correct? Oh, well, I'm not saying that I'm the big shot driving in the back seat. Now I feel horrible. Uh, we're not in a limo van, people. We are in a nice SUV, yeah. and uh, it's only fair that the dragon rides up front with the most comfort. I, I do appreciate that. Thank you. We, we do have a back area that if you'd want to crawl in the back, <laughs> we could do it from there. Well, we might pick up a few hitchhikers on the way. Um, yeah, I, I understand that uh, Jen uh, Maples, who sponsored the show last night on the charity drive for toys in Kingston for the kids, said that he almost pulled over uh, one day, uh, saw this homeless guy walking and thought it was you. What's up with that? Well, I have a big beard and sometimes I look homeless and I spend so much time on the road. Not like, well, it's kind of like a wrestler doing comedy. You know, you comedy. clean up a little bit, you can pose as Santa Claus. It's, 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 it's I, I don't get, nobody wants to sit on my knee. I'll tell you that right now. Um, you do you blame him? No, no, not with this beard. <laughs> this, this is just, it's not even going to be wrestling talk, folks. It's going to be Ricky Steamboat insulting me for the next half hour <laughs> as we go to Toronto. This is a warm-up for you tonight. You could use some of this stuff in your... Uh, in my act? Yeah. Well, how did you feel? So, uh, Friday night was your first time doing stand-up and telling stories. How did you feel on stage? Well, to be really honest with you, you know, when I was approached by Jan to do this several weeks ago, I thought, this is going to be okay. Um, very familiar with doing appearances and doing Q&As, right? Question and answers for the wrestling fans. The difference would be I'd throw in some good wrestling stories that happened while I was on the road and then do a Q&A. Um, but I will say, when I was walking up to the stage to meet with you, you did a beautiful intro Thank for you. me and really warmed up the fans, that I got, I got a little bit of the heebie-jeebies. Oh, cheapers. That's, that's hard to believe. No, and I'll tell you, that's a good thing. It is a good thing. And um, It's good energy. Well, in my 20 years of active wrestling and approximately uh, 6,000 matches that I've had, I always got the heebie-jeebies before I went out through the curtain. An old-timer told me one time, he said, Ricky, when you stop getting the, the butterflies, uh, it's time for you to get out. So I got them the other night, and uh, that was a good sign for me. It, it actually relaxed me. That's fantastic. Yeah. So tonight, folks, if you're in Toronto, well, this will be aired uh, this Thursday, so it'll be too late, but you're going to miss Ricky the Butterfly Steamboat 
um, live telling the How do you comedy. go from the dragon to the butterfly? <laughs> well, we're going to call you the butterfly because you get butterflies now. You just told everybody. You see? Did we not call it the butterfly? See, just... you're starting to do your stuff again. <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> Casey is running no. the tape this time. No, no. When you interviewed me. No, uh, <laughs> oh my God. I was with Jan. That's Jan Murphy piping in. Jan and I taped for an hour, and then I looked down and I said, okay, we should hit record. And I, uh, I did not hit record at all, but we are recording. Um, so, Ricky, okay. You know what you just did? He just made me check the recorder to you make sure did. I was recording. You, yeah, he did a backup <laughs> check. So, I started watching wrestling in about 84, all because of Mr. T. Uh, my mom was a wrestling fan. And I wouldn't watch wrestling. You started wrestling because of Mr. T. Well, it was that's that, that's what he would serve he's purpose. Not, he's not even a wrestler. No, but I was the <laughs> biggest fan of the A Team, and the A Team. Uh, I didn't watch wrestling. My mom watched wrestling. I, I would I would be in the basement watching cartoons, and then uh, Mr. T was in the ring one time. That I understand why you are the way you are. <laughs> and uh, you I ran. Are, you are a basement kid. A basement kid, exactly. Nice. I ran upstairs. Uh, Mr. T got Stu me into wrestling. Stu Hart would love you. <laughs> he would stretch me. <laughs> he so, called his the dungeon. <laughs> well, I was not in a dungeon. <laughs> but anyway, long story short, uh, I started watching wrestling in 84, and you came in about 85. And I remember your feuds against Morocco, and then you went on a steamboat and Jake. But they hung you over the top rope with Morocco. Steamboat, I mean, I mean... No, they Sabbath. hung me over the top rope with my with your belt, karate belt, right? And then, and then the next feud, they crushed your larynx, and then the next feud, they DDT'd you on the cement. So my question is, who was the Booker, and how did you piss him off that you got? Like, why did you have to get hurt so bad every time you w went into an angle? Well, let me say this about all of that: it translates into selling tickets and bringing in the dollars. Of course it did. Now, and it did. It did because yeah. I remember all of those feuds. They're all fantastic, and I love the story that you tell about the five and two. Uh, I'm not going to spoil that, but that is a great story. Wrestling Fuji and everything. Um, what was it like wrestling Morocco to Savage to uh, um, Jake? What were the differences? Like who who was better to work with and who was easier to work with? I'm not. Really, it's everybody that I work with, the, the heels, they all had their own different style. And if you could accommodate the style, you'd end up with a with a pretty good match with the, with whoever you're with. I learned early on in my career that it not so much as trying to get the guy to match up to my style as much as I would match up to his style. But at the same time, I knew how, to, in matching up to their style, uh, sprinkled in some Ricky Steamboat isms. Mm -hmm. Okay, and I was always able to do that, which then in turn um, uh, the, the people got to see you know the Steamboat style in, in the match. But everybody was different. Nobody I'm going to say was better than the other. Um, if you can accommodate, you, uh, my goal every night that I worked was to have the match that the fans went home and talked about. Mm -hmm. It wasn't so much about wins or losses. Yeah. And um, and I and I knew this is what the fans were telling me. He said, but Ricky, when we ride home, we don't talk about so-and-so won and so-and-so lost. We talk about the match as, as the body of, of our conversation. And um, Morocco being different than Roberts and Roberts being different than Savage, yeah, they all were different. But if you knew how to accommodate, uh, everything would, you know, at the end of the night would be a five-star match. 
Yeah, agreed. I will say Roberts probably was the very best when it comes to the ring psychology. And, and wrestling fans, what I mean by that is knowing what to do, when to do it, why you do it at that moment, as opposed to, let's say, if you want to do something in the beginning of the match, no, it would fit better to do it at the end of the match, and so forth and so on. His psychology was off the hook. One of the best in the business. Interesting. Yeah. Um, did you ever, in your career, think of... You, like, you're one of the rare people that remained face their entire career. Did you ever think of turning heel at any point, or were you ever offered to turn heel? I already told you that story. Yeah, well, you didn't tell me on air. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. This is going to be, this podcast is going to be very redundant, you're yeah. going to find. <laughs> okay. Uh, early 91, you know, when I came back to uh, the WWF at the time, and Vince wanted to repackage me as the dragon, and that's when I came out with the blowing the fire and uh, the dragon outfit and the wings. And at the same time, I, I tried to capitalize on his repackaging statement by throwing um, a different, you know, curve into me coming back and at the same time wanting to turn heel. And the idea was that uh, I'd have to work uh, twice on their TV show and one time I would show up as the dragon and then the other time I would show up with fully clothed, uh, long sleeves, a mask, and almost like a uh, Lucha Libra Mexican type mm. persona. And so that the fans, it would be harder for them to associate that that is the same guy. And I wouldn't do any martial arts or any karate or kicking or anything. At, uh, more of a Lucha Libra style of flying around the ring. And then maybe expose myself at the end of a year or so. And what I mean, fans, by exposing, pull the mask off. Let's make that, <laughs> let's, let's make that clear. Pull the mask off and then hopefully they would uh, be shocked to see that all this time uh, it was a uh, steamboat under the mask. And the, the idea did not fly because there was... Their thought was that I was a consummate babyface and I should stay a babyface and that if I ever tried to turn heel, it would eventually hurt my career. And um, at the time, I was upset and uh, a bit disgruntled about being turned down. I, I thought for sure I could pull it off. But looking back at it now, so many years later, like you had brought up earlier, I was one of the few guys in the business that started out one way and finished their career the same way they started out, and I was always a babyface. So I'm, I look back at it now, and I'm thankful. Yeah, you're in a very rare, you know, like I can think of three off the top of my head. You, Tito, and John Cena are the only three that have stayed face their entire careers. Yeah, very good company. Very good company, yes. exactly. Cena's not done yet, though. Cena's, no, no, Cena's not done. No. But I don't know if he'll ever turn. Like, I would love him to, uh, as many as many fans would, to see what he could do as a heel. But, um, you know, I the rumor is he doesn't want to disappoint uh, Make-A-Wish kids. But um, what if one of those Make-A-Wish kids wished for him to be a heel? What's he going to do then? He'd have to make their wish come true. Right? Exactly. And this is what we have to do. We have to find the right sick kid to make his dream come true. That's the way you got to flip Cena. 
I don't know if you're ever, if you have any, if you have anybody's ear in the WWE that you can make that happen, but um, we can just make it a total work. I'm sure we can. It doesn't have to actually be a sit. Well, Jan here's got more connections than both of us combined. <laughs> throw throw it at him. So Jan, if you can uh, get anybody on this, I'm on it. that is probably the way to flip Cena. So Make an evil wish. Because people say, oh, it's about the t-shirt sales. But when Hogan flipped, his t-shirt sales didn't take a dip. They they probably went up. NWO t-shirts were the top selling t-shirts of their era, right? So and, who knows? and you know before you end your career you switch back. Of course. So then you make everybody happy, happy. Yes. So um, now, uh, when you first came in, you had to go to a temple to fight a bunch of ninjas, uh, which was awesome. Uh, that's because I loved. But one thing I love besides yeah, that Mr. was T, a Japanese garden in Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you where the temple is at today, and now I know it's in Philadelphia, and uh, the Oriental Gardens in Philadelphia. And then I was going to ask you, um, were those real ninjas? Uh, and then I watched it last night on YouTube before I went to bed, and the last ninja was wearing sneakers. So I think I got the answer to that, that uh, they weren't real ninjas. But yet, yeah, you're still the dragon, so that's good. Um, you're probably the only dragon. One guy was a blonde-haired guy, and there was a couple of redheads. <laughs> no, I don't think there was one Asian person in a ninja costume in that whole fight. There wasn't. No, exactly. <laughs> But that's, that's why that's why I ended up getting my hand raised. I, uh, I beat them all up, and it was because they weren't the real deal. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, so you heard it here, folks. Um, the dragon, when he went to the temple to fight the ninjas, a lot of those ninjas were Philadelphians. They were as white as the cream cheese in Philadelphia. They were actually a group of guys from a Philadelphia cream cheese. <laughs> <laughs> my God. Um, they were actually um, uh, instructors from a karate school there in Philly. Oh, cool. Oh, that's that's wicked. Now, you went, um, I want to talk a little bit about, like, when you left the WWE, oh, eventually. Oh, cream cheese. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know I was going to come up with that. It just it, it, I, it, the things just happened in my head. <laughs> the, yeah, um, you think if those guys, those karate guys, heard that? Oh. <laughs> yeah, I would be screwed. I would be screwed. Definitely, I would. Well, I'm not. I'm now. I know when I go to Philadelphia, I'll go visit the Rocky statue and the Shalon Monk Temple. And that's in Philadelphia. Watch and, out for the cream cheese. And watch out for the cream cheese. <laughs> Don't want to get hit with a Philly steak. Um, so, so we, uh, so eventually, you you would leave the WWE, and um, I, to be honest, I was really upset with the, sometimes with the WWE because I, you were my favorite wrestler, and uh, I you never. Told, you just said Mr. T was. No, Mr. T <laughs> got me into wrestling. No, I was. I liked the A team. I didn't like wrestling. You know, you're confusing your audience. No, they know. They've heard this story before. The Mr. T story. They all know it. Um, oh, this is where we're getting back to being redundant. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you eventually you go to NWA and WCW. Like I felt like the WWE. You know, we ought a partner in tonight's show. We, <laughs> buddies, buddy we, I really, I really felt that uh, that you didn't get. Like I really felt that you should have been a world champion. But I got. Hulk Hogan was the world champion, but I don't understand, like, you know, why you weren't treated better. I, I just thought you deserved so much more, and then I was happy when you left, 
because all of a sudden, boom, you go back to NWA and you're right in the title picture. And before I know it, you're the world champion, which is what I've always wanted for you. Um, what was that like after all those years revisiting Ric Flair and your feud from earlier in your career and then going and like, was it very easy just to go right back into the NWA way of wrestling and wrestling Ric Flair on those great those great matches that you guys had. Well, to be honest with you, I did not separate you know WWE and NWA wrestling. My my wrestling stayed the same, or my style. And and let me also say, you know, it was a happy moment to be a world champion. But I always felt that I never needed uh, a championship belt to be able to stay as a main event guy or draw. But, you know, if you have a list of things, a bucket list of things throughout your career, you know, to be a world champion obviously is on that list. When I first started in the business, I always wondered if I was ever going to be able to make it to be a main event type guy. And I accomplished that. And then, since there was territories at that time, you wondered if you were going to be any kind of a territorial champion. Mm-hmm. And uh, going to the Mid-Atlantic and the Carolinas, uh, that happened for me. And then, of course, your next step is, will you ever be a world champion? And, and then, 89, that happened. And then the last list in my bucket list for wrestling was to be inducted in the Hall of Fame. And in 09, that happened. But uh, it, it wasn't a big priority for me to have any kind of a championship belt other than maybe just a checkoff list on my bucket list. Mm-hmm. Okay? Um, it, I, I did very well. In, always being the guy chasing the champion yeah you know like we were talking about it today at breakfast and one of the questions was was ricky how many times have you wrestled flair and um flair says like a thousand and then i came up with a number more close to 700 still that's a ton but in all those matches, I could probably count on one hand how many times I got my hand raised. <laughs> and two of them was the night I won the championship from Flair in Chicago, and then the return match in New Orleans, two out of three falls, I retained the championship. So there's two wins out of the possible five that I've had with Flair over a 17-year period of 700 matches. No. So it wasn't, I was never concerned with the win-loss mm-hmm. thing. It was, like I said earlier, it was always about getting the match over. Like, so with, with those matches, though, with Flair, like, what, can I ask you, like, so you had the, like, the return match with where Terry Funk was the judge. Yeah. And, and Flair won the title back that night. And then all of a sudden, Terry Funk attacks Ric Flair. And then we don't get to see you go after your title. And then all of a sudden, it seemed like you were just sort of moved aside. And now Flair and and uh, and and Funk are, are are feuding for the title. Why did that happen? Why didn't you get a chance to go get your belt back? Did what, what, who's like whose decision was that? To you know, it seemed like you and Flair were so hot. And then all of a sudden, Terry Funk comes out of nowhere, and now he's going for the title. And and it seemed like you know you were moved out of the title picture. 
is now I know that's you know million dollar man Teddy DiBiase says you know titles are just props but you know like was there any reasoning for that like it doesn't make sense that you should you know if you lose a title you should be able to get some shots back at it like and it just seemed like all of a sudden Terry Funk's piled robbing Ric Flair and then they're starting a feud like was there a reason why that happened well let me tell you the story I guess that's why we're doing this podcast (laughs) I wasn't gonna say anything (laughs) after that match in Nashville I lose the championship back to Flair I'm walking back down the aisle, going to the locker room. And here comes Terry Funk running past me. As I turn, he gets in the ring and him and Flair go at it. He pile drives Flair on the announcer's table. And I'm watching it firsthand as everybody else in the building. I guess in so many words, I wasn't even privy to the angle. So you did not know that that was going to happen? Did not know. That's insane. Falls to me in a little bit of the disrespect category. Well, I would think so. That seems like a a bit of a slap in the face. Not just to you, but to the fans. Yeah. You know, like, as much as I enjoy a Terry... Uh, Ric Flair uh, feud, you know, I really would have liked to see, well, to be honest, I could not even see the fights back then because um, we didn't really get them up in Canada. I just read everything through wrestling magazines. I more or less read about the fights as they happened. So, because Canada has always been run by WWE pretty much. Um, I also wanted to ask you about when you were in WCW and you were tagging up with, um, I guess it was Shane Douglas? Shane Douglas. And and you guys would fight the Hollywood Blondes, right? Yes. How like how did you enjoy wrestling those guys? Pillman and Austin. It was yeah. a night off. Because those guys, well, we, we all know what their careers ended up being. Stone Cold's one of the biggest guys ever. And, yeah. And Pillman, well, you know, he could have been so much better, but unfortunately he had that accident early in his career. But it seems to me like, you know, every now and again they'll throw two guys together to make a tag team and not even care about it or whatever or hope for the best. And this happened with New Day. New Day were thrown together and they make something out of themselves. And same with uh, Sheamus and Cesaro recently. The Bar has really become a good tag team. Um, I honestly felt like Pillman and Austin were like that where they were kind of thrown together to see what happens and they really got into it and the Hollywood Blondes started getting over. But uh, I remember that they had great matches with you guys, and um, and yeah, it was a joy to work with those guys. You know, um, hungry. I knew early back then that Austin had it. I don't think WCW saw that much into him, other than uh, the two of them just being a tag team mm-hmm. and going for the tag team championship. But Austin, as a young guy back then, you could tell when you're in the ring with somebody if they've, if they've got it or not. And he certainly had it. And like you had mentioned earlier, when he left WCW and went to Vince and became Stone Cold, the rest is history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, did you, uh, you feuded a lot with the Dangerous Alliance, it seemed, that year. Because um, you also had matches again, great matches with Rick Rude as well, who was in the, the Alliance as well. He's one of my top guys when they ask me. Um, wherever I go, the match, of, of course, with me and Savage is always brought up at WrestleMania 3. And then the matches with, uh, with me and Flair. And um, um, the matches with me and Roberts. And, and 
And uh, Rick Rude is right in there in the top five guys that I've worked with throughout my life in single matches that uh, it was uh, a real pleasure to, to be in the ring with him. Um, you know, he was like a Minnesota State arm wrestling champion. Really? Did you not know that he took six at the World Championships in Las Vegas? No, I didn't even see him in the movie Over the Top. That would have been awesome. No, he was a legitimate sixth place in the world in arm wrestling. That's incredible. And I was in the ring, and I can testify that you could feel the strength in his forearms and, and hands when he grabbed a hold of you. You you knew it. Sometimes when you hook up with a guy, you just, you know. Yeah. And there was a time when he would just grab me by my arm and pull me to the left or pull me to the right. And, buddy, you were going whether if you wanted to or not. Oh, okay, we're going left. Here we go. Whoop. There's something about the Minnesota guys. They really know, you know, they really know how to wrestle. And maybe that's because of, like, I guess they all went to Vern's camp as well, right? Did um, go to Vern's camp? I think... Uh, uh, or is he just from Minnesota? Uh, I, I think Rick with uh, a guy by the name of Eddie Sharkey. Oh, Eddie Sharkey, okay. Yeah, does that bring a name up? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the name, yeah. Um, yeah, he, Rick Rude was fantastic. He was always God, one of we're my going back guys. 40 years ago, man. <laughs> Jeez. It's hard to remember sometimes. Um, a child hobo in that <laughs> I'm the childhood, the yeah, the littlest hobo. So the littlest hobo is a television show in Canada about a dog who goes around solving people's problems. I, it sounds ridiculous, but it's a dog, and the dog goes and like let's. One time there was a guy in a hot air balloon, and he fell asleep drunk, and the hot and the dog got in the hot air balloon and flew it away for him, flew him to safety because that's what the littlest hobo does. And every episode, he would leave the town, and then they would always have this song like, There's a voice that keeps on calling me down the road. That's where I'll always be. Anyways, the song goes on, and yeah, it's about a German shepherd, Husky, that saves people's lives. So. Have your other podcasts taken on this type of... Uh, um, Life of their own. Yeah. Sometimes we get distracted, yes, but that's mostly because sometimes my guests will smoke pot before coming on the show. Uh, one of my friends has Let's a... make that perfectly clear that it did not happen in this video. No, <laughs> but I will say I do have um, a, a bong at home, and it is beautiful ceramic, and it has dragons all over it. And um, I've, I, I understand you use it as a vase now. Well, of course, but I, it's I named my bong Ricky the Dragon Steam Bong. <laughs> That's the name of my bong. And I, I don't know if you. I've gone from a dragon to a butterfly to a bong. <laughs> if you saw all the within, dragon, all within 20, 25 minutes. If you saw the dragon on this bong, it is beautiful. I'm pretty sure it's from uh, it's from Philadelphia. And it's some of the finest oriental artwork on a on a bong. Anyways, um, so uh, what else did I want to ask you before we let you go? Uh, let's see. Um, jeepers. I should have asked my audience members to send in questions. You haven't talked how about, about, how, about how about kerosene? Yeah, okay. Well, let's talk about the breathing fire. So you, you use kerosene. Oh, why would you use kerosene over like... 151 rum or something like that whereas if you do swallow it it might taste good like 
how many times have you swallowed a mouthful of kerosene and, and is that healthy i don't know um i was taught by a um, a small circus guy, like one of those little parking lot circuses. Oh, uh, when you that said you a small sh- shopping centers, right? <laughs> you said a small circus guy. I thought him was a midget. I'm sorry. Um, They're called little people. Little people. Yes. So no, so you, a, a, a small town circus guy. Right. Yes. And, and he, he 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 explained, you know, you could use grain alcohol, you, you know, or you know, but he said that's more like a white flame and the kerosene, it being a very dirty fuel, it it it. it you know, puts out the reds and the blues and the yellows, and it, it makes for a great color uh, for the fans uh, when you do the fire. So, um, but th- there's a there's an after effect with with doing kerosene. I never swallowed a mouthful, but you, after blowing it out to the torch and creating that big ball of fire, you've always got that residue left in your mouth, and of course you swallow. And unbeknown to the fans, but not unbeknown to the referees and whoever I was in the ring with, that uh, five minutes into the match, all of a sudden it smells like uh, rotten eggs because I'm having these kerosene farts every time I get thrown down in a body slam or <laughs> or, or, or grunt trying to pick a guy up. And um, it uh, smelled like rotten eggs out there in the ring. <laughs> I don't have to go through the... The sound effects. Didn't no. I? <laughs> no, we can add them. Everybody in. gets an idea, but uh, even new meaning to getting gassed in there. Yeah, that's yeah. Oh my God, I can only imagine an atomic drop. <laughs> Must be the worst. Yeah. Well, that's. Well, I always yeah. wondered. Yeah. How about the ass bump? You would always sell that. You would always <laughs> sell that inverted atomic drop. And now I know why. You'd be like, when you got the inverted atomic drop, you'd be teeter-tottering and everything. Yeah. I can only like. I would not give you any move that involved with your butt hitting anything if I knew that there'd be kerosene farts that followed. Well, you know, I'd be selling that, and my opponent would be selling too. And I'd never do a and like a sunset flip. No, thank you. That would be too horrible. Um, that is only mad. That's an un- unimaginable that you'd have to you'd do that. Because I know there's. I used to wrestle in high school, and I remember guys wouldn't wear deodorant, and that would bother me. I can't imagine, you know, eating a bunch of eggs before matches and uh, having egg farts. That's crazy. Um, so I will uh, say this: the only thing worse than the egg farts that I that I let loose in the ring was, God bless him, was a blackjack mulligan, and he did the claw hold on your forehead, mm-hmm. and he always wore this black leather glove, and, you know, in the course of the match, he would be perspiring and sweat, and that glove would get soaked, and at the end of the night, he just would throw it in his bag, in his uh, wrestling bag, and the only time it was pulled back out was the next night. Now, after doing that, night after night and week after week and month after year after year, that glove had its own particular smell to it. And if it wasn't for the claw hood that was going to put you out, it was going to be the smell of the glove. O-M-G. Did Bob Orton's cast also smell? Hmm. Couldn't tell you. Because he wore it for like two years, it felt like. Which might have been a little longer than I expected. Um, the uh, do you have any? Did you did you have did you have any run-ins with Andre during your career? Andre and I were tagged up only on a couple of occasions. 
tag team partners. Um, one match I can remember it was uh, him and I in the Joe Louis Arena in Detroit against Mr. Fuji and Don Morocco. Awesome. And um, I'll tell the fans the finish. The finish was, of course, me and the smaller guy. Everybody was smaller than Andre, but the smaller guy, uh, uh, Fuji and Morocco, would get the heat, heat on me. I'd give the hot tag to Andre, and he would clean house, and they would both feed him. He would stack them on top of each other, hit the ropes, and come with his own big splash on both of them, and get the one, two, three. Nice. Well, we have our match. They get the heat. I give Andre the tag. He cleans house, stacks Fuji on top of Morocco, walks back over to me and gives it back to me with a tag. And I say, boss, that's what you called Andre, boss. He goes, you take it, Ricky. He says, climb to the top rope. So I climb up, I thought I was gonna do my splash off the top, right? No, mm -hmm. and he backs himself into the corner. He says, stand on my shoulders. Awesome. And he reached up with his two big catcher mitt hands and I grabbed his hands and we balanced and I here I am standing on his shoulder, which is about th three more feet taller than the turnbuckle, maybe four. Mm -hmm. And I'm standing up there and he says, okay, do your dive. You should have seen the eyeballs on Mr. Fuji. <laughs> <laughs> Big as half dollars, because now I'm so, and I come up and do the splash and we got the one, two, three, and the boss, you know, Andre the Giant gave it back to me and made the change in the ring on the fly. And what a great guy. That's awesome. That's so good. <laughs> <laughs> Fuji's eyes. I can only imagine, for, especially from that height back then, too. Um, that's crazy. I mean, you know, when he backed into the corner, the, the top turnbuckle came to his belly button. Yeah. You know? Yeah, he was still like half a person above yeah. the, the ropes. That is insane. That's great. The only way I can compare that is the time that uh, Snooker did the dive off the top of the cage in Madison Square Garden on Don Morocco. Yeah. Yeah, that was... Uh, that was spectacular. That I've, was... I've seen that many... Oh, I have it on video at home. I have all the Coliseum videos, uh, bubble wrap cases from the 80s. I still have I still have a VCR just to watch them. So Now they're falling out of the ceiling, crashing through three tables. I know. It's, 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 it's insane. Shane McMahon jumped off an air, uh, helicopter. And that wasn't even in a match. So that's ridiculous. What a great match he had with Undertaker. It was great. Uh, whenever what a, what a great match that was. Whenever Shane's in the ring, um, you always know something big is going to happen. I was at Survivor Series last year, and as much as as great as Brock versus uh, Lesnar was, which and it was great, for, despite being under two minutes, it was fantastic. But the match that went, sorry, you said Brock versus Lesnar. Oh well, sometimes. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> Goldberg, thank you. Goldberg versus Lesnar. Um, the matchup before, the five-on-five, five was my favorite match of last year. Uh, it was about an hour long, and Shane McMahon was unbelievable in it. It was fantastic. Um, I'll just... Uh, I will, we'll close on this. I'm just trying to think of a good closing question to ask you. Um, hmm. Well, I'll say that with regards to WrestleMania three. Um, I love that match 
but the only thing that bothered me about it was like at the very end well I've never been a George the Animal Steel fan and it might be partly because when I first went to see Hulkamania in 1986 it was a card that came to Ottawa I spent a week working on my Hulk Hogan poster and uh, and then my my family my parents were like well your sister doesn't have a poster so I had to do her a poster and I was like who do you want it to be and she's like George the Animal Steel I'm like oh I don't want to have to draw George the Animal Steel so anyways I made the poster George the Animal Steel for president it took me another week to make that and uh, and then we went out to the wrestling and um, I put my sign up and my sign got ripped but her sign made it which made me more upset at George the Animal Steel and um, I could never understand like I was on Jesse Ventura's side where he's like he's she, he's kidnapping Elizabeth anyway um, I just bought like it was the Wrestlemania 3 match was such a perfect match I was always bothered that George the Animal Steel factored into the end and pushed Randy Savage off and helped you get the one two three but other than that the match was perfect and uh, can you talk about that match for a little bit <laughs> well it, it, we wanted George to get involved on you know because they, they he did have the, the angle with you know Elizabeth and mm -hmm. what you just said earlier but uh, I, I, t I asked Randy I said do you mind if we just sprinkle George in but I'd like to have it as a you know just a couple of pivotal moments almost mm. like game changers yeah you know instead of having them involved throughout the whole match and running oh that would have been so so annoying you know and we, we gave the when the moment came when uh i was doubled down with the referee right had yeah. we we double knocked out each other we're down and he goes out and gets the bell he goes to the top rope no he first goes and comes off with the elbow yes and that was designed to give Randy his out, mm -hmm. if you understand that, that if, to do returns, he, he would he could legitimately say, I, I, I got had, cheated. I had, I, had, I had Steamboat beat, yeah. but the referee was knocked out. Mm -hmm. That was his out. Then he, he gets the bell, and George is there and steals the bell. Right. Yes. And as he's uh, running down the the, the ring apron the, on the floor, the Savage jumps down and, and boots him in the head, grabs the bell, goes back up top, and George goes back and pushes him off this time. So we just have a couple of pivotal moments for George. Um, but as you know, when Randy took the bump off the top, he sold it just momentarily, and he came back over to me, right, mm -hmm. and went to slam me and simple finish hang on for a small package and we got they got the one two three beautiful timing being that the referee came to yes and got the one two three but uh, in answering your question with George just to have a couple of pivotal moments and um, wanted to make him special and it was his hometown was it not is he I believe he's from Detroit yeah so that that that's nice too because I always wondered why George had to factor into the match, but I guess it makes sense to keep Savage strong because he didn't get pinned, pinned cleanly, but at the same time, okay, that all makes sense. I'm fine with it now. Um, folks, we are approaching... Thirty years later, you finally find fine with it now? Well, I just needed to sit and talk with you about it, I think, and, um, you know, because I don't think George... Well, you were disgruntled for 30 years? <laughs> no, not for 30 years. 
Well, it's been 30 years since the match. I know. Apparently, it's a touchy subject with me, but I'm sure it's okay. Don't even ask me about the Can-Am connection. Um, so, folks, um, thanks for listening. Uh, Ricky, thanks for uh, doing this. I appreciate you, and uh, and I, I appreciate you coming thanks on the podcast. Thanks for having me on. It was a lot of fun. And I appreciate you. First everything. time I ever did something like this, driving down the road? Well, this is, uh, this is how I do my podcast. Jan drives me around. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and yeah, it it just works out. So yeah, this is almost like part of the wrestler's life, right? Down the road. Down the road. Um, whoa! One more thing. When you came back for WrestleMania, uh, I thought we were finished. Well, I just thought well, we. I forgot about the WrestleMania match at the end. And like when you, when Mickey Rourke wasn't supposed to wrestle, or he was gonna wrestle, and then he wasn't wrestling, and then all of a sudden it's like three legends. Oh, Anyways. WrestleMania 25. Yeah, and then it was really cool getting to see you wrestle Chris Jericho because I'm a big Chris Jericho fan, and I know he's a big Ricky Steamboat fan. So it was really cool seeing you guys in the ring tied up, and then to see you wrestle again the next night on Raw uh, was fantastic. And then the that was like afterwards, you had a whole man, run. Eight-man tag, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, I really enjoyed that run when you came back, and um, I've enjoyed everything that you've done, and thank you let, for coming let, on the Let show. me tell you real quick. Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, that WrestleMania 25 with me, Snooker, and Piper, and you know, um, Chris uh, saw early on and putting this whole thing together that uh, you know Snooker was you know beat up and Piper's back and his hip, you know, and and so he just came to me and said, you, you're going to have to probably carry 80% of the match, you know, because the, the other guys are just they're limited to what they can do, right? Yeah. So. I was okay with that. I was actively uh, training guys at the school, and um, I was getting in the ring almost every single day. And I, I was, you know, I was staying active in the ring, uh, very hands-on. And just because of the able to do what I was, what I did, um, that segued into the Monday Night Raw mm -hmm. with the eight-man tag. That segued into three weeks later at Backlash, to which I had a singles match with Jericho. Yeah. That segued into an overseas tour to uh, the Orient, in which I worked with Jericho every night. Fantastic. We yeah. came back to the States. We did a, um, uh, we were in the Mid-Atlantic in the Carolinas, my old stomping grounds, and we worked all through the Carolinas one-on-one uh, -on -one with, with, with Jericho. So the, the one match ended up being like 20. And I'm sure he was fine. I'm sure he was fine with that. And I'm sure that Chris played a, a, a very big role on, on making all of that happen, you know, for me. Oh, Chris Jericho's yeah. the best. I totally, I just think that he's the best. And I think let we me, could let be me, best friends. Let, let me also tell you this. We worked in the Carolinas and all the major cities there and um, and and Chris was going over with his uh, uh, code breaker mm -hmm. and the very last night we're in Greenville South Carolina and same finish I said okay code breaker and we have the match and he hits me with the code breaker and he goes to cover and him and the referee, as he covers me, he's going, Ricky, kick out. What? The 
the referee's going, damn it, Ricky, kick out. I'm on, I'm on two. One, two, kick out. And that's why I kick out. I kick out of this code breaker. Mm-hmm. And I, and I'm wondering in those fleeting seconds, what in the world are we doing? What's going on now? Right? So as I sell up to my feet, and he's up, and he snatches me, and at the last second, he picks me up for a slam, and while I'm up there on his shoulder, he goes, you and Savage, WrestleMania 3 finish, as he, <laughs> as he throws me down. Which, uh, on the way down, I hook him in, and we end up in that small package position. Yes. And, I, and he gave me the one, two, three. Wow. I went over. Oh, that's fantastic. That was Chris Jericho. What a guy, right? What a, I love Chris Jericho. I'm debating whether I'm going to go on the cruise or not next year because it's, it's at my birthday. And I know Ricky Steamboat will be on the cruise. Yeah. So, folks, and Jan, you're going on the cruise? You're not going on the cruise? Like Jan Murphy is not going on the cruise. <laughs> Ricky the Dragon. I don't do boats. You don't do don't, don't do boats. Ricky will be on that cruise, yeah. the Chris Jericho cruise. Um, it's got a great card, and uh, you should go, people. You should go support that cruise. So there'll be another one. If I don't make it this year, maybe I'll be on next year. So I don't know. I keep on like, how can I get a hold of him to do comedy on that cruise? But he's already booked really good comedians. So oh well, maybe next year. But uh, folks. Um, thank you, thank you, Ricky, for joining us. Not well, we were in a car together. It's not like we can leave. Um, yeah, we're almost there. No, I'm saying we've had so much like 40 plus minutes for your podcast. Yeah, that's all right. That's great. Yeah, I talk a lot. I'm very. That's why I do for a living. So I caused a little hobo sidetrack. That's all right. You know what? People in America, they're going to appreciate hearing about the little hobo. So don't even worry about it. And then the people in Canada will be like, "We've been waiting for more little hobo talk because nobody's doing the little hobo podcast anymore." So, um, <laughs> folks. I don't even want to tell you that Snake from Degrassi might be reviving the Lilith Sobo, but that might be happening. But don't you didn't hear it from here because this is top secret. Anyways, folks, this has been Casey Corbin on Talking Wrestling with Hall of Famer, legendary, great wrestler of all time, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Thank you for joining us, Ricky. Okay, and, thank uh, you. Thank you very much for having me on here. And a great wrestler of all time, only second to Mr. T. I understand that. <laughs> thank you very much. You're both Hall of Famers. So it's, once you're in the hall, you're in the hall. I can't, I can't, celebrity wing or non celebrity wing. It's, I don't understand how, like, why can't Andy Coffey be in the celebrity wing? Anyways, folks, that is our time. Thank you for joining me on uh, Talking Wrestling on Never Sleeps Network. You've been listening to Ricky Steamboat, and you've been listening to Casey Corbin. And uh, thanks for letting us put a headlock on your ears. Have a great day, and we'll hear you again and see you again next time. Goodbye. Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com.